The first lesson this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, 26 through 28, and 31. It is followed by the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, verses 27 through 31. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of humankind. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. John and St. Matthew, beginning in John in the first chapter at verse 1. Glory be to thee, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is in the bosom of the Father. 
he has made him known. Continuing to the third chapter of Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we remain standing, I'll invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, through which you reveal yourself and speak to us. And so I would pray in light of that truth that I as preacher would just get out of the way. There'd be far, far less of me and far, far more of you. That your people gathered this day would be edified and your son Jesus glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? We long to belong. To belong is one of our most basic human needs, defined in a friendship, a family, a spouse, a community, a place to be known, loved, accepted, welcomed. We long to belong. Recent news articles speak of an epidemic of loneliness, where in every given time, a quarter to a third of us will describe ourselves as deeply lonely. The pandemic, pandemic measures, only exacerbated this reality as we were cut off from even the most basic of human interactions. And even if we live with others, it doesn't mean that we don't experience loneliness, for do those around you truly know you, understand you, accept you? For loneliness in the presence of others is an agony all on its own. We long to belong. Today we start a series on belonging, and our eyes are set on a goal. In this year of discerning what it is to be a community committed to justice, pressing into the kingdom concerns of Jesus, that of poverty and equality and justice, we've been invited by the coaching work of Young Street Mission to consider this as a work of hospitality of extending belonging to the other, the stranger, the marginalized. And this is a work, as we sang about earlier this morning, that is deeply rooted in the ministry of Jesus. For Jesus himself was concerned with holistic healing. Not only did he address physical and spiritual infirmity, he invited those who were at the fringes into community, into the healing of belonging. But as we seek to extend belonging to the other, the stranger, the marginalized, it's important that we ask, 
Is our church a place of belonging? A place where people feel known, accepted, welcomed? I could even make it more specific. Do you feel that this is a place of belonging? If we had opportunity to hear everyone's answer to that question, we would likely get a spectrum of responses. For some of you, you are deeply rooted here. Some of your richest relationships are founded in this community. For the others of you, you might be thinking, if I go one more week without someone acknowledging my presence, I am done. As with any long-standing community, there are cliques in our midst. Those who are extroverted can sometimes navigate those realities. To the introvert, they often seem like impassable barriers. We were shut down for the better part of three years, and we reopened, and the face of little T had changed. Those who had called this church home for many years were coming less frequently or were staying online, and when you did come, you looked around and did not find the comfort of familiar faces. As such, it became less a place of belonging. Since reopening, we've welcomed lots of new people from the neighborhood, from other churches. And for those who have moved from other churches, very often you were leaving very difficult circumstances. Places where leaders had, had failed, had harmed those communities. You bear those wounds and are understandably guarded. You don't want to be hurt again. And you wonder if those around you will understand. Many will. For Little T has been over the years a place where people have come from such communities to rest, to heal. Is Little T a place of belonging? To some, yes. Others, no. Another, it used to be. And still others, well, we're, we're going to wait and see. But if as a gospel-centered community we're desirous to extend belonging to the other, the stranger, the marginalized, how can we do that without fostering first a deeper sense of belonging in our midst? This week I listened to a local Anglican priest by the name of Jason McKinney address a class at Tyndale Seminary. And he was speaking of kingdom justice being an extension of radical hospitality, an extension of belonging to the other. And he said that that radical hospitality is built upon a foundation of quotidian hospitality. And what he meant by that was hospitality that we extend to those who are like us. And such quotidian hospitality builds the muscle memory. It links the neural pathway between joy and hospitality and without that general hospitality, that building of deeper trust and belonging in our midst, there can be no radical hospitality to the other. So as we begin this series on belonging, we're going to first look inward, desiring to foster deeper belonging in our midst, that we would more and more be a place where people are known, understood, welcomed, that we might extend that gift to others. And for that to happen, rightly, we must first look to God, a God of hospitality. 
For in the beginning, God created. When we come to the first chapter of Genesis, it often raises all kinds of questions. More often than not, how? How did God create and how does this jive with evolution? But the first chapter of Genesis is not as concerned with how as much as why. Why were we created? Why? Which in my estimation is a much more interesting question. And belonging is right at the heart of that why. In fact, the first few verses of Scripture make belonging central. You see, the Hebrew writers of the Bible had many different names for God, drawing out his nature, his character. And here in the first verses of Genesis, God is introduced as Elohim. It's a plural word for God. In the beginning, God the community, God the relationship created. The next few verses fill this in. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God hovered. The verb there speaks of a mother bird fluttering over her nest. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And by his word, God creates. Now if we were to fast forward in the Bible to a book written by one of Jesus' first followers, John, He begins his gospel with the exact same words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by the end of the chapter, we discover who the Word of God is. Jesus, the Son of God. And so right here in the first verses of Genesis, we've got this picture of Elohim, the God of community, of relationship, of Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. We're taken deeper. What kind of relationship exists in the community that is God? Well, in that same gospel, John will tell us that Jesus was in the bosom of the Father. Who in your life could you bring to rest upon your chest? It would only be those closest to you, right? We're being told that love was primary between Father and Son. In another verse from Proverbs, we have one of the persons of the Trinity speaking of the work of creation in this way. I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. In reflection on this reality, Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, says that the inner life of the Trinity is characterized by love, mutual, self-giving love, As each person of the Trinity moves around the other two, orbits around the others, pouring love and delight and adoration into the other. And the early church had a word for this. They called it perichoresis, from which we get our word choreography. They were picturing this glorious dance of love, adoration, enjoyment, delight that is in the relationship at the very center of the universe. And that is the only way that we can say eternally that God is love, right? Because if God did not exist as relationship, we could only say that God is love after he creates something to love. But no, God is in himself a loving relationship. As Daryl Johnson puts it, 
God is a loving relationship between a father and a son. A relationship that is so pulsating with life that it is living, it is breathing, it's a person, it's a spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. And it is out of that relationship that you and I were made. For on day six, Elohim says, let us. Let us create humankind in our image, meaning we were created out of God's deep desire to expand this circle of love that exists within God and that we will find ultimate meaning and purpose in our life in loving, delighting in, enjoying, glorifying God. You see, when you read the scriptures, you have all these commands of God asking us to love him, glorify him, worship him, orbit our lives around him. And many people respond to those commands by saying, come on now, how selfish of God, how self-centered of God, that he would want that of us, that he would need that of us. But he doesn't need that of us. For all eternity within himself, the members of the Trinity have been loving, adoring, delighting, glorifying, worshiping, orbiting. God commands those things of us, not for his sake, but for our sake, that we would know joy, that we would know delight, that we would know love, that we would know him. There are many practical implications of this truth that we were made in the image of this loving relationship that exists within God. First, it speaks of the primacy of relationships. That relationships are meant to be central in our lives. And if we put anything else at the center, be it money, career, comfort, status, sex, beauty, power, anything else, we will be dashed upon the rocks of ultimate reality. We were made by relationship for relationship. And it is in relationship that we will flourish. Now what kind of relationship? Well, the relationship that exists within God, that of mutual self-giving love, to have our relationships defined by a posture, no, 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 not my needs, your needs. For each of us in friendships to say, no, 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 not my needs, your needs. For us to say in a marriage, no, not my needs, your needs. For all of us to say in a family, no, 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 not my needs, your needs. For us to say in community, no, 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 not my needs, your needs. And if all of us are doing that at the same time, there is mutual flourishing. There's another worldly beauty to it that is absolutely glorious. And if you've ever tasted that, even momentarily, there comes about a realization. Ah, this is what I was made for. Genesis 1 reveals that we were made for belonging. We were made by relationship, for relationship, by mutual self-giving love, for mutual self-giving love. But Genesis 3 tells the tragic story of humanity's turning away from God, replacing that central relationship out of which we were made with everything else. Power, status, wealth, money. 
turning aside from mutual self-giving love to yearning for all things to circle around us, entering into relationship, no, 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 not your needs, my needs, for that is sin, human nature curved deeply in on itself. And the pages of the Bible, the state of our lives, our relationship, our world, bear witness to the consequence, the agony of that turning away. But, but, and there's a glorious but, there's another time, another place in Scripture where we see as clearly as Genesis 1, Elohim, and it is at the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus, the Word of God, goes down into the waters of the Jordan, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove fluttering over the waters, and the the Father's voice is heard to be said, this is my beloved Son. I'm pleased with Him. I delight in Him. And that scene declares loudly, boldly, in this one, in this Jesus, I'm about a work of restoration, of recreation, of drawing humanity back into that loving relationship that exists in the community of God. For at the cross, Elohim centers all of his being around us, bears all the consequence of our sin, and takes it away that we might be drawn once more into that beautiful dance of mutual self-giving love that exists within God. This is a glorious truth that is beautifully reflected by Anglican poet and pastor George Herbert. In a poem entitled Love, he writes this. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love answered, you shall be she, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, oh my dear, I I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling said, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? Well, my dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Herbert is rightly, in his poem, reflecting that at the heart of the gospel is hospitality, is belonging, is Elohim, the relationship out of which we were created, the relationship we rejected in our sin, moving heaven and earth to draw us back into his glorious dance of mutual self-giving love. But just how do we enter in? Once we receive love's invitation, how do we rest in that love? 
Experience that love. Taste that love. Live out of that love. In worship. In worship. As theologian James Torrance put it, worship is participating through the Spirit in the Son's relationship with the Father. And I must say that when we reflected on that truth in a series about a year and a half ago, I, I resonated with the truth of that, but recognized that there was likely more to it than I could possibly imagine. And then by the grace of God, I began to taste more of it. Earlier this year, I attended a conference in London, England called the Alpha Collective. And each Sunday, our sessions, or each session began with an extended time of worship. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm not often in a setting where I can worship without thinking about what comes next and what I need to do, because part of my job is facilitating worship. But there I was able to reflect more on what I was participating in more deeply than usual. And during one particular time of worship, I was brought to remembrance of that truth that we've been reflecting on about a year ago. That in worship, we're drawn into the inner life of the Trinity. We're participating by the Spirit in the Son's relationship with the Father. And as I began to prayerfully reflect on that, I believe that God in that moment gave me a picture. In the picture, there were two figures, one on top of the other. On the top was the Father, on the bottom was the Son. The Son was praising the Father, extolling Him, glorifying Him for His goodness and faithfulness and love and character. And that praise was being carried up to the Father by way of the Spirit. The Father was then pouring out His love, affection, and affirmation upon the Son. And that love and affirmation was being carried to the Son by way of the Spirit. I next sensed that I was being invited in to that picture, being invited in to take my place with Jesus. For by faith, we are united with Jesus in everything that he does. And as I did so, I sensed, this is what worship is meant to be. In worship, we're meant to join Jesus in his praise of his Father to glorify him for his goodness and love and faithfulness. But in worship, we're also meant to join Jesus in receiving the love and affection and adoration of his Father. To hear the Father speak over us, hear my beloved son, my beloved daughter, I delight in you, I'm pleased with you. In worship, we're meant to be drawn in to that dance of mutual self-giving love. You may be wondering what I have here under this sheet. It's a mirror. We were created in the image of Elohim, the image of relationship, the image of mutual self-giving love. And that word image means many things, but one of the primary things that it means is reflection. 
We were made to reflect the character of God out into the world. And just as this mirror will only reflect what it is oriented toward, we will only reflect the character of God if we are oriented, our lives are oriented toward him. And in worship, we orient our lives toward this glorious dance of mutual self-giving love. And in so doing, we can then reflect that love out into our relationships, out into our world. You see, most of us enter into relationship desiring to have our needs met. Do you know me? Love me? Understand me? Welcome me? In worship, we orient our lives toward the one who meets those needs, whose verdict over us in Jesus is you are delighted in, known, loved, forgiven. And so then we can enter into other relationships free to know, free to love, free to accept, free to extend belonging. For we have heard the voice of Elohim speak over us. Now, I wouldn't want to leave anyone with the impression that as long as I've got a solid relationship with God and Jesus, that we don't need the love, the acceptance, the understanding of others. For in chapter 2 of Genesis that we're going to look at next week, it reveals that even in paradise, even where there is no sin, even when God's verdict over all is, it is very good, even there, there is and it is not good. It is not good for humanity to be alone. We need human community to flourish. However, we must enter into that human community from a place of belonging, a place of being welcomed into that relationship out of which we were created and for which we were created. We must enter into human community with our lives oriented in worship toward the Trinity, that we might mirror his love, goodness, and hospitality in whatever relationships we find ourselves in. So as we continue in worship, may we by the Spirit participate in the Son's relationship with the Father, that we might reflect that glorious dance of mutual self-giving love wherever our feet may tread. To Jesus' glory alone, we pray. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.